ask you to take your Bibles. We're studying the book of Acts, and we're going to turn there again this, this morning. So today, it's going to be Acts chapter 11, picking up in verse 22 through 26. Verse 22, it said, Then the news of these things came to the ears of the church of Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and seen the grace of God, he was glad, encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians. In Antioch, and let's have prayer. Lord, will you bless us today and let your Holy Spirit minister, challenge. And Lord, I just ask that people could be drawn to you. May you bless and give us courage so that we can make decisions. And I just ask that today really can be a special day for each of us. And I thank you so much again. And we ask your blessings now in Jesus' name. Amen. I heard a story about some children that were trying to talk their mom into buying or getting them a dog. Uh, you familiar with that process? So the mom said, you can't have a dog because here's what's going to happen. You're not going to take care of it, and it'll be on me. You can relate to that, right? Well, the children said, no, mom, no, no, we'll feed it. We'll take care of it. We'll walk it. We'll make sure it's taken care of. So the mom finally agreed and let them have a dog. Well, they named it after one of their favorite teachers, and they called their dog Danny. Well, sure enough, it got just like what the mom thought. The kids at first took care of it, but then that got old, and soon she was having to take care of it, and she got tired of it. And so she decided they were going to have to get rid of the dog, and so she found a new place for it, and so she got the children together, and she said, we're going to have to get rid of Danny. She said, he's too messy, and since I'm the one that's taking care of him, we're going to have to get rid of him. Well, the kids just had this stunned look on their face. She was surprised that they didn't say much. And then finally, one of the little girls said, well, we'll miss him. She said, I know you'll miss him, but he's too messy, and I'm doing the work. We're getting rid of him. One of the other little girls spoke up, and she said, well, I know he eats too much, and I know that he is messy, but if he wouldn't wouldn't eat as much and wouldn't quite as messy, can't we keep him? She said, no, my mind's made up. If you want to come, we're all going to take him, and we're going to get rid of Danny. And all of them said, Danny, we thought you said Daddy. (laughs) Well, thank goodness that Daddy didn't have to go, but today... It seems like that that is what a lot of people think, that dads aren't that important. But I can tell you, statistics say different. If you want to be able to make an impact on a country, that would do it. If we had a revival, and uh, if we had fathers to step up and be the men that they're supposed to be, if we challenged people and had people... uh, began to teach the importance of dads, we would see a difference within our country and within our 
nation. Jim Daly, president of Focus on the Family, he looked at those statistics and then he wrote a blog. And he said in his blog, maybe we should do away with Father's Day. 300 people responded right away positively, telling stories of the difference that their dads made. Now, there were some that had talked about how abusive their dads were. There were some that had negative things to say. Then there were some others that had responded and said, well, my dad was this way then. Something happened. And the majority of people that started that way, the something that happened was Jesus Christ was finding Christ, and it's amazing how God makes a difference within a person, within a dad's life. Now, we've been studying the Apostle Paul, and it is evident God certainly was making a change in his life. God was developing a leader, and that's what we need. We need leaders. God is still at work developing leaders, and as we study continue to study Paul, one of the things that we see that God has began to work in making him a leader is helping him to be humble. You know, a lot of times as men, we have a struggle with pride. Certainly Paul would. He was a Pharisee. And as a Pharisee, he had a lot of pride. And so the Lord had to be able to humble him. You can count on it. If God is going to use you, pride is going to have to be set aside. And so that is so hard. That is so difficult. And so Paul, there were some things that he began to experience. Now, in this passage that we read in chapter 11, we see Barnabas having to go get Paul. So the question becomes, how did Paul get to Tarsus? And and where is he at? And why is it that Barnabas has to go get him? So that leads us back to some verses back in chapter 9. Now, We didn't read these verses, but let me just flip there. Paul, here's what happens. He goes back to Damascus, and he begins to preach. And Paul is so convincing that he's making a difference. And you know, what happens, and this is true today, what happens today when people can't argue with you? How do people respond today? You know what they want to do? They just want to kill you and get rid of you. People are so violent today. Well, that's how they were here. And so in verse 23 of chapter 9, here's what it says. Now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul or Paul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Well, the disciples had found out about it, so they took him by night and led him down through a wall in a large basket. Now, can I tell you something? That is humbling. When Paul first came to Damascus, you know how he came? He was coming with a group of men, and he was coming with power, with authority. But as he was coming, he had his head held high, and his plan was to be able to arrest and to kill Christians. And he was definitely going to let people know who he was. Now, he's leaving Damascus at night having to get himself into a basket and be lowered down secretly. You don't think that's humbling? That would very much be humbling. You know what's ironic about it? The very people that he was going to Damascus to kill were the people that were there to save his life. 
Those were the people he had to be thankful for. You know, when you're living a Christian life, you don't live a Christian life by yourself. You become dependent upon other people, and it's hard. And so for Paul, it was very much humbling. Then Paul leaves Damascus, and he goes to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem, he has, again, when he begins preaching, he has success. And the same thing takes place. You know, when Lazarus was raised from the dead, people said, we need to kill him. Because this testimony that Lazarus has is having an impact on individuals' lives. Well, guess what? The testimony that Paul had was having an impact. And so what they said was, we're going to have to kill him. So the very same thing happens in Jerusalem. And so when you go in chapter 9 down to verse 29, here's what it says. He spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists. But they attempted to kill him. And when the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him on to Tarsus. And so Paul then has to leave Jerusalem again. Now here's the thing, the next couple of verses, the next verse, look what it says. Then the churches throughout Judea, Galilee, Samaria had some peace, were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Spirit, they multiplied. Paul, they got him out of the picture, and all of a sudden there was some peace. And the church continued to grow. You know what? That's hard. That's awful humbling. You become a Christian and you think, you know, God has placed me here to be able to be a difference maker. And now they get you out of the picture and all of a sudden their success? That's tough. That's tough whenever you are out of the picture and people are having a good time. It's tough when people say they don't need you or people begin to question you. It's humbling. Now you may ask, have you ever had any humbling experiences? Well, sure I have. You know, one time I had a, a young man that was, had been called to preach out of the church. I was pastor, and so he invited me to come and preach at his church. So I went, and I don't know what he told those people about me, but after I finished that night, this guy came up to me. And he said, you're not as good as I thought you'd be. I said, well, thank you. <laughs> I mean, what do you say to somebody who says that? You're just not as good. That's not the first time, and it wasn't the last time I've had somebody say something similar to that either. But it's very humbling. But you know what you do? It, it, ha- it gives you a chance to relook at things. And so I developed a philosophy or a pattern for doing sermons. And so this is what I go by. One, being biblical. Because, see, the thing is, if people focus on you, they're not going to get it out of anything that's going to be impactful anyway. But if they focus on God's Word, you don't have to be great. You be biblical. God's Word never goes out void. God's Word is like a two-edged sword. It pierces people's heart and soul. It's able to have an impact. So you're biblical. Here's something else. <laughs> Prayerful. I never get up without praying. I never talk without praying over what I'm supposed to be able to speak upon. And what I found is that prayer, you're talking to the Almighty that can do the impossible. And the Spirit of God is at work. And so when you pray, it makes a difference. God answers prayers. And I found that over and over again. 
And here's the third thing, and it's being Christ-centered. David had mentioned about Paul in, in, at Corinth. And you know what he said there when he went to Corinth? He said, I, I just determined that I was going to do nothing but preach the cross. Well, you know, God is humbling Paul. And he's helping him to realize, Paul, it's not about you. And if you lift yourself up, you're going to fail. You're going to disappoint. But if you lift up Jesus Christ, if you share the gospel, and here's what Paul would later on say. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God to salvation. He realized that if you want God's power unleashed, you have to share the gospel. I saw Franklin Graham talking about his father. And he said, you know, my dad really wasn't that gifted. But you know why he was used? It had to do with the gospel. It's, it's not about him. It was about the gospel. It was the message that he preached. He kept it simple, and he preached the gospel, and God just blessed. The Holy Spirit just worked because the message was powerful. And that's what it's about. Whenever you share the gospel, could you expect something to happen? You better believe it. When you come to church and the gospel is shared, do you expect God to work? Yes, because the gospel is that powerful. And so Paul, he had to learn something. They were success without him. Because it's not about him, it was about Jesus. And if Jesus is front and center, guess what? Things are going to happen. There's some people that think, you know what, they can't do church without me. Wrong. We can't do church without Him. But as long as He's a sinner, we'll go on. We'll make it. You know what else? Paul then went on to Tarsus. Does that sound familiar? Oh yeah, he was called Saul of Tarsus, wasn't he? That was his hometown. Now, we don't know exactly what took place why he was there in Tarsus. But, you know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul talks a little bit about some of the struggles that he had in his ministry. And he talked about the beatings, the whippings that he had, and he mentioned a number of them. Five times he received lashes from the Jews. Well, we don't know a lot of when those things took place. And a lot of people speculate that when he went back to Tarsus, Paul went to the synagogue, and there he was rejected in his hometown. Rejected! Rejected in his hometown and beaten because of his testimony of Jesus Christ. Well, it's tough being rejected at home. That's hard. Facing rejection is difficult. You ever faced rejection? I've faced it. I remember working at a Christian bookstore Coming in one day, actually, my boss said, hey, I want to have lunch with you. I said, great. Because Margaret said, you know, they promised you a raise, never give it to you. You need to talk to your boss about it. I said, well, this would be a great time. So we went to have lunch, and you know what my boss said? Before I could ask him for a raise, he said, you know, we've hired too many people, and uh, you're the one we're going to have to let go. I don't guess I'll get a raise. Rejection is tough. And you know what he said? He said, the position that you have is going to be the most important. And since you're going to be a pastor, you're not going to be here long. I've got to have somebody that's going to be here. And because of that, I've got to let you go. I thought, well, this isn't fair and this isn't right. But you know what? God used that. Whenever you're facing rejection, 
and you think, my life's over. It's not. God's at work. And you just need to let Him work. He may be changing your direction and your focus. He may be getting you, humbling you and getting you ready. You know, most of the time, if I come home and said, well, I've lost my job, Margaret would have probably panicked. But for some reason, the Lord settled her and she said, great, you'll be able to go to school full time. You'll be able to go to seminary and we can get on with this. And I did. Went on full time to seminary. God was just, he worked in all of that, aligning things up. But it was a very humbling, rejection is humbling. Paul was very much a humbled, humbled person. Well, let me tell you something else that Paul, we see in his life, and that is a helpful friend or a mentor. And maybe at the time Paul wouldn't have said Barnabas was a mentor, but he certainly was. He was a mentor. And we all need people that can come alongside us and be able to help us, and Barnabas is that. Now, whenever you read about Barnabas, you first read about him in Acts 4. And you know what's said first about Barnabas? <laughs> he was a giver. They call his name Jose or uh, Josie. That's his name, but they, everybody called him Barnabas. And it says about Barnabas that he had a piece of land he really didn't need, and he sold it, and he brought all the money from that land, and he gave it to the church so that they could be able to meet needs. He saw a lot of needs, and he said, you know what? Nobody can meet these needs, but we should. I don't need this land. I'm going to sell it, and you can have all the money, and you can meet these needs. Wow. Isn't that something that somebody would do that? Barnabas was a giver. He gave from what he had to make an impact on others. If he saw a need and he could meet that need, he gave to that need. He modeled giving. Do you know anybody like that? You know, I hope. Dads, you can be givers. Barnabas was a giver. It just came naturally to him. And we ought to pray, Lord, fill us with your spirit and help us to be givers. He modeled giving. But you know what else? He wasn't just a giver. He was a person of encouragement. His lips spoke encouragement. And the word Barnabas itself, it's his nickname. And here's how he got it. It's a name that means son of encouragement. Now listen to this. Paul says God is the God of all comfort. God is the God of all encouragement. In fact, he called him the father of it. It begins with him. Now if God's the father of encouragement, and your nickname is Son of Encouragement, that makes people recognize that God has gifted you and granted you this ability. And so Barnabas was so great to be around because he was so encouraging. He recognized people's gifts, and he encouraged them in being able to live out those gifts. That's who he was. So what a great model. Barnabas was also a person that whenever you told him something, he listened. He listened to what was said. When Paul first went to Jerusalem, guess what? They said, we don't want anything to do with him. At one time, he was trying to kill Christians. We think that he's playing some type of game here. And everybody kind of avoided Paul. and Wanted nothing to do with him. But Barnabas. And Barnabas said, no, I've sat down and talked with him. And Barnabas knew all about Paul. And he, they, he told them about his conversion. He told them about all the things he had done in Damascus. He said all these things how Paul had went and studied and how God was speaking to him and using him. And he just kept on encouraging. And finally, Peter and James said, well, that's fine then. 
And Paul was able to go and hang out with James and Peter and learn some things from them and to go witnessing and to make an impact together. All because of Barnabas and his encouragement and his willing to listen. Very few people really listen. One of the things I can improve on, listening. It's hard to listen, but Barnabas listened because he cared that much. And here's the th- a fourth thing about Barnabas. Barnabas was very sensitive to service. And here's what I'm talking about. Barnabas saw needs. He said, we need people. God, need- There's something God's doing here and we need people. And then also Barnabas would see people's gifts. And he would think, you know what? You would be good right here. And Barnabas would help people get in the position so they could serve God. What a special guy that is. Boy, wouldn't you like to have somebody like that on your nominating committee? That's who you want. Barnabas, he could just recognize. He'd say, you know, this person has this gift. Boy, they should serve here. So Barnabas is sent to Antioch. There's so many young Christians. And Barnabas says, you know what we need? We need somebody that really knows the Bible. Somebody that can really teach. And he says, you know, I know the guy. Saul of Tarsus. He travels all the way to Tarsus. He leaves Antioch, goes to Tarsus. You know what? That's somebody that's going the extra mile. Talk about a person that's really a mentor. He's going the extra mile to get Paul where he needs to be. And that's what Barnabas does. He goes the extra mile so that Paul could be in a position where he can succeed. And Barnabas goes and gets him. He brings him back to Antioch, and Paul is able to serve there a year. I'm going to tell you something. I really believe that year that Paul spent in Antioch was a year that he needed. He needed a place in which he could be able to heal to be able to see God working and moving, a place where He could be used. You know what happens? When you give, you're giving also yourself. Whenever you're serving God, it's like God is working and and ministering to you too. And that's what began to happen in Paul's life. And guess what? In Antioch, it was such a good church, the Bible tells us they were the first church that were called Christians. The word Christians means this, little Christ. Now, some people think, well, that's probably, it was probably used as an insult. But nevertheless, they took it as a badge of honor. If you're going to be called a little Christ, isn't that great? People recognized Jesus Christ working in their lives, recognized there was something different. I'm going to tell you something. Dads, if you want to be successful, people should recognize Jesus in your life. Your children should recognize Christ. If you want to make an impact, a real impact, Christ needs to be first. If you're a Christian, you know what that means? It means that you have surrendered your life to Christ, that you've asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life. It means that you're following Him and you're living for Him. That's what being a Christian is. And at Antioch, that's what they were doing. You know, uh, Gary Chapman, the fellow that that wrote the five love languages, he also wrote a book called The Five Traits of a Functional Family. He had this college student come up to him, and he said, you know, I come from a terrible home life. My my family is so dysfunctional. I don't even know what a functional family should be like. And he said, but I recognize that you're a Christian. Would it be okay if I moved in 
and lived at your house with you for a year and watched your family and learned what a functional family was. Now, how would you like that? For somebody to come up and say, hey, I don't know what a Christian is. Can I move in with you? And so you can model that for me. Well, Gary Chapman and his wife prayed about it, and they said, okay, you can come and do that. And so this fella came up with these five things that he recognized. Here's what they were. Attitude of service, an intimacy between a husband and wife, parents that train and teach their children, uh, husbands that are loving leaders, and children that obey and honor their parents. That's a functional household. Well, what Paul was noticing at church was a functional church. Here at Antioch, one of the things that you saw is that they were a sharing church. We didn't read verse 21, but verse 21 of chapter 11, here's what it says. It says, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. They were leading people to Christ. They were sharing their faith. If you're a Christian, you ought to share your faith. You know, I heard this week from an international mission board, 155,000 over that die every day in the world without Christ. You and I can help change that. It may just be one, but we can change that if we're willing to share our faith. They shared their faith. They were a discipling church. That's why they went and got Paul, so that people could learn the Bible. They were a discipling church. You know what? They were a giving church. They found out there was a famine that was taking place in Jerusalem, and they just said, hey, we're going to give money. Let's go send money there and help them. They saw needs, and they gave. You know what? Some people say, you all do a lot of love offerings. We do. And you know why? This is a giving church. Giving church. You don't... You, sometimes you can't afford to be able to participate or can't give as much as you would want. But guess what? Somebody else can. And you can give a little. We, I can give a little, and it makes a difference. And we just give, and God blesses. It's a giving church. And they were a loving church. They cared about one another. They cared about the needs of the community. They cared about people. That's why they shared. It wasn't about numbers. It was about love. And they were a loving church. And they were a sending church. Soon after a year was up, Paul and Barnabas would be sent out as missionaries because more people had to be able to hear this message, this good news. They were a sending church. And what did it come from? It all came from the fact that they were Christians, that they had dedicated their life to Christ. You want your home life to be different? It all evolves around Jesus being the center. You want to be able to have an impact on your children? I'm telling you, more than anything else you can do for them, you, you help them to find Christ. Oh yes, they need to know how to work. They need to be taught trades. They need to have, be able to have fun and enjoy childhood. I understand that, but they need to know Christ and how to walk with Him. And fathers, we are to be the leaders to help our children to have that opportunity to know Jesus Christ and how that He can change their lives. The Apostle Paul became a leader. It took time. It didn't happen overnight. The Paul that you see as you read about in his letters, that's not how he started. He didn't have it all together. 
God had to be at work in humbling him. These men that you see that are great dads, they didn't just become a great dad. It took some time. God had to mold and shape. And so he may be molding and shaping some of our dads here today. That's not a bad thing. God is trying to get your attention and help you. We might, we've got some guys that you might need to come today and just say, Lord, I'm sorry, I, I messed up. I need to repent. I need to seek your forgiveness. That's good. God's got your attention. God, He may be trying to show you somebody that's a mentor. Somebody you need to meet with. That's not just true of men. That's true with our young ladies. God wants to place somebody to help you, to be an encouragement to you that you can look to. And more than anything, God wants you to be a part of His family. And God wants you to be known as a Christian. For others to see that Christ is there. For that to happen, you've got to allow Jesus to be Lord in the center of your life. If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, what a great time to be able to honor your dad to honor the Lord in giving your life to Christ. Let's take a moment. We want to be able to have prayer together. Lord, we're going to move to our invitation. And Lord, it's, it's your time. It's a time for your Holy Spirit just to be able to be at work. So may you just speak to hearts. May your will be done. And Lord, may you help us, each one, to be obedient. And today, may we seek to honor and please you. And so as your Holy Spirit leads... May we just follow. Lord, if somebody's lost, may today they find Christ. If somebody, Lord, is discouraged, may today they find encouragement. May if somebody is not living for you, may today, may it turn around, and may this be a turning point in their life. May you bless this time now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.